Let's open our ears for our teaching text this morning. Zechariah 8, 11 through 13. But now I, not, I will not deal with the remnant of this people as I did in the past, declares the Lord Almighty. The seed will grow well, the vine will yield its fruit, the ground will produce its crops, and the heavens will drop their dew. I will give all these things as an inheritance to the remnants of this people. Just as you, Judah and Israel, have been a curse among the nations, so I will save you, and you will be a blessing. Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Casey. Casey's actually been part of our formation school cohort this year. So yeah, just you come find me or uh, check it out online. It should be a really cool part of the journey, if that's at all what you're looking for uh, or what God might be calling you to. Uh, speaking of journeys, a couple years ago, we took one uh, with our kids. At the time, our youngest was just two, and we were like, can we do it? Can we do a road trip? And not to really push the limits of that experience, uh, but we're like, let's, let's give this a try. Spring break, a couple years ago, we're going to Indiana. So we told the kids, they're excited. They've really never been anywhere. And so they're like, Indiana, amazing. And, and we're like, then we're going to go to Indianapolis. And they're like, Indianapolis? And I was like, yes, Indianapolis. So if you hear them, never correct them. Don't take their innocence. And you may, too, go to Indianapolis. So we go there. And it, it was a great trip. It was a couple hours down. We had a great weekend. And so that kind of set the bar for what all family trips would be, Indianapolis. And so this last spring break, a couple weeks ago, we we're like, let's try it again. Let's, let's do the road trip. Let's see what can happen. And we tell the kids, all right, we're going farther this time. We're going to Colorado. And they're like, what's Colorado? I'm like, it's like Indianapolis, but better. And so it's going to be, sorry to any of you indie, indie folks, but come on, really? And so we're going to Colorado, and we, we start on this journey. And their frame of reference, again, is, is not as large or as expansive. And so we're on the trip, and they're just getting kind of angsty. They're like, when are we going to get there? What's this going to be like? Are we there yet? And so finally, we're kind of in Iowa and then Nebraska. And I'm like getting tired of the talk. I'm like, guys, come on. We're, it's going to be great. Just trust us. And so then finally we roll into eastern Colorado. We go past the sign and it's like, welcome to colorful Colorado. And that's when the kids are like, we're, we're there. And I'm like, we're, no, we're not quite there yet. And they're like, good. And, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I thought these Rocky Mountains would be a bit more rocky, Dad. And I was like, that's it. So we pull the car over and I'm like, kids, we're not going to Indianapolis. We're not going where you think we're going. It's going to be better. So just calm down, let it go, and we're going to get there. And you know what? It was. It was way better than Indianapolis. But it was tough. It was tough for them to see what was coming because they really had no frame of reference whatsoever. And sometimes the journey and the destination are not at all what we would expect them to be. And that's a little bit where we find ourselves in the middle of the book of Zechariah. We've looked at a couple pieces, kind of the beginning and the end of this, this small book. And now we're going to land right in the middle in chapter 8. And what we find here are these beautiful verses where, where judgment kind of gives way to promise of restoration and of hope. And these words hit us. I'm like, I needed that. 
And it starts kind of even earlier in chapter 8 than when we began in chapter in verse 3 where it says this. This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion, dwell in Jerusalem. And then Jerusalem we call the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord Almighty. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with a cane in hand because of their age. And the city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing. And then our text picks up today, verse 11. But I'll not deal with the people as I did in times of old. The seed will grow well and the vine will yield its fruit and the ground will produce its crops and the heavens will drop their dew. It skips ahead. Do not be afraid. Let your hands be strong. Restoration. And this sentiment, this hope, it is echoed by the prophets of this time who are speaking more or less to the same people. We see this in Isaiah uh, 55. He's talking to the remnant people who are back in rebuilding in Israel. He says, come all who are thirsty, thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come and buy and drink and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. And it goes on to say, you will go out with joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. And the trees of the fields will clap their hands. Hope and restoration. This dynamic is really present in this time. With these prophets speaking to these people who have returned to Jerusalem to build the temple and rebuild a country. They also feel like hope to me. Like I I needed to hear that and I want more of that, God. I need that kind of vision. But when I sit with these words in their historical context and, and the realities before they're spoken and after, Honestly, I'm a bit confused. And that's part of the gift of the scriptures. They invite us to feel alongside the original audience and to participate in what's happening. And what happens to me when I read those texts is not only hope and joy and expectation, but a lot of confusion and frustration and even anger. You see, in Zechariah's day, they would have had those words from the prophet Isaiah ringing through their ears. And yet, Economic instability was common. There was no milk or water without cost. In fact, it was really, really high cost to buy those things. The mountains brought threats instead of songs, and the trees were not clapping their hands. This was really tough. And Zechariah, at the end, he says of that text, says, Make your hands strong so they can build the temple. Because when the temple's there, there's going to be peace and prosperity and children will play in the streets and there will be no more war because people will be growing old into their old age, so much so that in the streets they will have to lean on a cane is the vision we get. And yet, that's, that's not happening and it isn't what happened. I mean, you look through history and this temple takes forever and it's not really great. 
And it gets built and fits and starts. And, and instead of songs from the hills, there's, there are enemies that surround them. And there's lies that are told to the Persian government about how Israel's doing. And it's, it's not great. And then it continues for a couple hundred years. And then there's this there's Maccabean revolution with new hope and the Hasmonean dynasty, if you're a history buff. And Israel has this brief glimpse of independence. And it still isn't what they're looking for. It still doesn't feel like the text that we just read. There was no peace. And then there's Jesus, and then the Romans, and the temple is torn down, and the Roman oppression. And so on and so forth. And to our prayers today for a land in conflict, the text promises peace, but I see no peace. And so we sit in tension with that. And that's why we call it scripture, not just an old book, because it's living and active and is speaking to what is happening. And so it's our responsibility to, to welcome that tension, the frustration and the anger as we read this text and say, Lord, I see this and I hear this, but I don't see this. And I don't feel like that's happening. We join in good company with the psalmist who cries, how long, O oh Lord? How, will you hide, how long will you hide your face from me? How must I wrestle with my thoughts day in and day out and have sorrow in my heart? You th said things would get better, but I don't see it. An old colleague of mine would often remind me that unmet expectations result in anger. But what if their expectations set by the text? Am I allowed to be angry? I think so. God is not afraid or surprised. But we begin to ask these questions. Are we there yet? Are we there now? I think of Mar Martha, the sister of Lazarus in John 11, who after her brother had died, looks at Jesus and I believe she is screaming and says, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. This is not shaping up like the journey that I thought it should be. Because you promised And yet Jesus is unfazed in that moment, and I feel also in this, not distant and unmoved, but not surprised, for God is big enough to handle our emotions. We're not offending the Lord by wondering and questioning and crying out. God is gracious and compassionate and abounding in steadfast love as we prayed and as Ashley read. And somehow is wrapping his arms around his people even in those moments. But we must acknowledge that what I want to see is not what I often see around me. There's frustration there. Things seem out of sync or at least on a different timeline than I want them to be. Timelines are funny things. I switched timelines in life when, when I was in my mid-20s. We lived in, in a different state in Colorado, and uh, there was a different timeline to career, life, kids. And then we moved to West Michigan about 10 years ago. And I noticed not just a subtle shift in timeline, but social, societal expectations were pretty stark. Tell me if you resonate with any of these things. That in, yeah, let's hear it. Right? 
We feel this, we know this in your 20s. We're supposed to get your education, find the right long-lasting love and get married. In your 30s, to have children and succeed in your career. In your 40s, you become the expert, get promoted. In your 50s, your kids move out, never to move back in, and they are financially independent, and so are you. And, and so on and so forth. The cultural script in which we are pressed into, um, in this particular area especially. And yet, it's, it's an unforgiving script, isn't it? Doesn't leave a lot of room for creativity or disappointment or finances that don't come through, or setbacks, or unrealized dreams. And we have to sit in the tension of those things. And I wonder, though, if implicit in our frustration, whether with a timeline or with the text, is the invitation Maybe, maybe it is Jesus as we read this text and sit in the frustration. Jesus is pulling the car over and saying, listen, we're not going where you think we're going. And it's going to take a little bit longer than you think or hope. But it's going to be better. I need to hear that on multiple fronts of my life. The voice of Jesus saying, Tim, we're not going where you think we're going. Or Cheryl, or Paul, or Rashid, we are not going where you think you're going. We need to acknowledge again with the prophet Isaiah that God's ways are not our ways. And thank goodness that his thinking is not as small as mine. His vision is longer and brighter and deeper. And so maybe that's an invitation. Implicit in these texts of hope and restoration is that the voice of Jesus, may you hear it. This is going to look different, but I've got you. Friends in our, well, actually, I need to say this. For all of us who don't feel we fit in that particular timeline or whatever timeline it is, wherever you're watching or, or in your family, I think you have a place to lead us. I think you have a place to lead our church and our culture. Because I, I don't think many of us feel we fit into that timeline and you have got something to offer. And so maybe you heard the voice of Jesus early on saying, hey, we're not going where you think we're going. And, and, and may that prophetic wisdom be stirred in you this morning. Because you have got a place to lead us. But it takes a little longer sometimes, less control than I would sure like. Let's look again at verse 12. Dan, if you want to pull that text up again. Uh, verse 12 in our text, this is uh, Zechariah 8. Uh, you'll see it there again. The seed will grow well. The vine will yield its fruit and the ground will produce its crops and the heavens will drop their dew. And I will give all of these things as an inheritance and remnant to this people. This is like farming talk. I'm, I'm somewhat used to that, coming from uh, half of my family being farmers. But what I don't like about farming talk is you just have little control. I'm reminded when I talk to my cousins who are farming, they don't even have control of what they sell their products for. 
You can have that if you just open an Etsy shop, you can charge whatever you want. But they don't even get control of that, let alone the weather or the rain or the yield or the flooding. And I think there's something here. There's tons of metaphors that could have been used by the prophet and by, by the Lord all the way through Scripture. But we get farming talk because we can't make the vine grow or yield its fruit any faster than it's going to. It's not on our timeline. We can't just go out and kick the ground and pray that it's going to kick out those crops faster. There's something uh, that God is doing that's tied to the restoration and promises of these texts that is restoring and it's restoring us on a different timeline to a different destination and in ways that we do not choose or have control over. And I feel another level of tension because I don't love that at all. Because what we are called to is the posture of the patient farmer, that of surrender. We talk often about how God is looking for partners and participants, yes. But we don't get to write the game plan or hold the game clock on that. It's a different timeline. When I think of, of this text um, in Zechariah, I'm reminded of Psalm 126. It's this beautiful hymn that, that opens like this. The Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. And we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with joy and laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. And then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And the Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. Yeah, I need that hope. And then the text shifts. It shifts tense and shifts voices for the second half. And we see this on our screen. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev, the desert. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. And those who go out weeping, carrying the seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying the sheaves with them. I think what we see here paired with our text in Zechariah, is that not only will this project of restoration that God is about not necessarily be on our timeline or in our understanding, but that the pathway to restoration often involves pain. That for songs of joy and being led out with trumpets and the trees clapping their hands. For all of that, there is this peace. For those who sow with tears are going to reap with joy. That there's a naming of the sorrow that gets planted in the ground so that something more beautiful can come forth on God's timeline. Almost as if there was a person who took on flesh to embody that to be put in the ground, to reveal God's better purpose more than we could ever have imagined on our own. But what this tells me is that when the tears of sorrow fall and they plant with them seeds of hope in the ground, that we will see joy. That out of exile in Babylon comes a return home. And the question for you and I is, are we able to let go of our picture of that? Are we able to let go of Indianapolis so that we can see Aspen 
Are we able to do that? Because God, this, this, God is doing something, and this book is full of a, pictures and promises more than I have imagination for. And so today, friends, may this be the opportunity for you to take hold of that thought or disappointment that you've had present in your mind for the last 10 minutes. The place that's not working into the timeline. The career that seems stalled. The relationship that still isn't where you'd hoped it would be. The anxiety that doesn't have a release right now or the season that just doesn't seem to end. Maybe, maybe the simplest thing we can do this morning and our call to do is take that thing and sow it as a seed of sorrow in the ground. And let it be. So I invite you to do that. Maybe you already have, or if that's something you need to write down and do later, or a text you need to send. Take that, sow it in the ground. Lord knows we've watered these things with tears over the years enough. Because I think God has a plan for this restoration that God is about. And it may look different, and thank God that it does. I think of Isaiah 43, as I, as I place the frustrations in the ground in front of the Lord, I think of this text. Behold, I am doing something new. Do you not perceive it? I'll make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert, watering the seeds of sorrow that have been planted, I would imagine. But it takes some time to wait, to sit in the, in the continued tension until we see and feel the work of the Lord. But I promise you, God is at work. The story moves forward. The people of Israel are, are invited to continue to build, and God is doing a great work in their hearts despite the length of restoration that's happening. Because God is after something in here as well. Prophet Joel, rend your hearts and not your garments. We talk about fasting later on in the book of Isaiah, that God is after something deeper. So we get a chance to move something out of the way, put it in the ground, and allow God to go to work. But patience is really tough. I've got to acknowledge that too. I've got, I've got what you like to call a Dogecoin spirituality, right? If you don't follow cryptocurrency, you're probably better for it. But we had this, we had this, this currency that went from zero to 300% growth overnight, and that's what I want. I want that seed that I plant in the ground to grow up the next day because I'm conditioned to that kind of speed and that's what I want God to do. Or if not that, at least kind of this HGTV spirituality, right? Where there's, you flip or you flop in 46 minutes or less and anything in between is just unsuccessful. That's what I'm conditioned to hope for. But I think what God is doing in inviting us to be participants in this Old Testament prophetic book is that there is a longer, more expansive project, a longer trip that we're being invited into. 
And in that, God is forming us in a way as a people and as persons that he can't otherwise or chooses not to otherwise. And we get to be part of the gift and blessing of that if we allow ourselves to go along for the ride. I think this is our last text for today. This is 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. As some understand slowness, Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Lord is not slow as we understand slowness. What a gift that God doesn't work on our timeline. You know, I think for some of us, we, we're like those on the road to Emmaus, right? These two disciples in the end of the book of Luke who are met by Jesus in, in disguise. They don't see him. And they're, they're in sorrow as they're walking. And yet Jesus is with them and they can't see him, but he's there. And as they walk, they're just saying, oh, have you not heard? There was this Jesus. We wanted him to be this, 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 and this. We wanted him to save us. But, but, but we had hoped that he would be the one. And they are so defeated. And in their tunnel vision, they can't see that Jesus is right beside them until just a little bit later, they come to the table. And when Jesus breaks the bread, their eyes are opened. And they can see what they could not have seen earlier in the journey. And so that's where we find ourselves right now. Saying, Lord, would you open our eyes to where you're walking with us, to where you're wanting to restore us. Lord, would you open our eyes to the things we must lay down, what we need to bury in the ground, and let you water and restore and bring back on your timeline. We come to this moment of, of confrontation and invitation. And Jesus does this again with his disciples. He's been doing it his whole ministry. And then they get to this, the, the table, kind of this last supper setting. And Jesus is again saying, you thought we were going here, but we're going here. So I believe as he is breaking the bread and as he's pouring the cup and he tells them, this is the new covenant in my blood. I think when he says those words, they know, oh, we've been talking covenant for centuries. We had no idea it's going to look like this. Not only do they not have to, to, to battle Jesus for the blessing, he gives it freely. And they're like, oh, the, yeah, the new covenant has different rules. It's a thing of freedom and joy and restoration. And they're invited to open their eyes because they're going to need those eyes because a couple days later, when things were the darkest, paradigm shift again what was buried in the ground is coming out and giving new life to the world and so friends i i want you to come and take and eat whether you're online or at these tables come and be a part of this meal that is restoring and restoring our souls the god who waters what we sow in tears on his timeline wants to meet with you and i have dinner restore us. And so Lord, would you, would you be in us and in this place and in this meal? Would you send your spirit on this cup and the bread 
in a way that brings life and vibrancy and restoration to us in a way that only you can. Would you do business in the deep waters of our souls in these next few moments, Lord? And would you form us evermore into the image of your people by this bread and this cup? Amen. And so friends, if you're in the shed here, we have tables over here with allergen-free elements. Feel free to come and take and eat. Or if you're at home, just encourage you to find something to represent the body and blood of Jesus Christ and know that his spirit is bigger than the forms of things that we have. And God's power is made perfect in our weakness. So just invite you to do business with the Lord and commune with one another. And in doing so, we, there's a story that we rehearse that we're invited into. It has these three moves and we say them every week like this, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Friends, come for all things are now ready.